Hi, I'm Alexandra Roxo, your host of the Holy Fuck podcast. I've created this podcast because I want to explore how the mystical touches us in our everyday lives, how the sacred and profane move together like two sides of the same coin. I found that in modern spirituality, we often separate the sacred and the profane. We look at certain things as being holy and good and others as being bad. And I've actually found that the most magical part of life is finding the divinity, the healing, and the transformation in all of it. In this podcast, you can expect to hear stories from people on all sorts of walks of life. You'll hear from a doctor, a sex worker, a poet, a motivational speaker, an activist, a mother, a birth doula, and all sorts of other people who are walking on an embodied path of healing and transformation as a soul awakening this lifetime. Each one of our guests will be sharing their mystical and numinous and spiritual awakenings, how the sacred has touched their lives and the profane too how they have explored life through sex, drugs, birthing, meditation, prayer, experiencing death and life, and all sorts of different elements that God, Goddess Divine, speaks to us through. If you found that you're also a rebel mystic who doesn't just fit into the simple ideas of good and bad, of spirituality, but sees the nuance that life has to offer us, then I hope you find a home with me here in this podcast. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. On today's podcast, I have Diego Perez, also known as Young Pueblo. Diego was someone that I met years ago at an incredible little retreat with some other people that you probably know, um, one of them being my dear friend, Sa, uh, who else was there? My friend, Jackie, Paul. It was a really special little meeting of hearts. And since then, he's been someone I've really admired. He's so friggin' humble about his work, and that is just so rare. So he's got a great new book out, and he tells it all about it and tells some really intimate stories about his childhood that I don't think he's ever shared, which is really, really generous of him. So I hope you enjoy. Please reshare, connect with us on IG, on socials. We'd love to hear how this lands for you and how it relates to your story. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's Holy Fuck podcast with Young Pueblo, aka Diego Perez. I guess you would say that opposite. Diego, aka Young Pueblo, but you know, <laughs> either, either, either one way. Works. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are probably all following Diego's work. Um, you've probably reposted some of his incredible, wise poetry turned memes, um, words of wisdom, essentially that I think, yeah, like we've all read Diego's work. So that's congratulations. Thank you. Thank it's you. Super um, cool. Yeah, it's uh crazy what the internet does <laughs> things just spread yeah. yeah so just to begin like i want for people for maybe the one person listening who doesn't know you <laughs> could you introduce yourself yeah so you know my name is diego um that's the name my parents gave me but i decided to write under the name young pueblo because i really wanted to put everything that i write within this understanding that humanity as a whole is very young and it feels like we're in a really big transition period where 
we have so many huge challenges in front of us in this century, but at the same time, there's all these amazing healing tools that have popped up all around the world that more and more people are getting access to, you know, from therapy to different forms of meditation to journaling, just like introspection is in now. People are trying to get to know themselves, build self-love and and all of that. And I, I'm a part of that journey too. You know, I've um, tried to really just deal with the stuff that's been heavy on my mind. And it um, the best tool for me has been meditation. So I really think of myself as a meditator first and foremost, and then second, a writer. And mm. um, yeah, I just write books. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that you describe yourself as a meditator. And I think in today's world, um, there are a lot of people proclaiming to be different things, which is partially incredible mm. and empowering that we're allowed mm -hmm. to be like, I'm this. And I feel like, I'm this. Yeah. you know, this, it's a part of, um, if you think about the thousands of years where people, especially women or people of color, like we are not allowed to be like, I'm a CEO, I'm a founder, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a witch, you know, like, but yeah, yeah. Um, the fact that now it's that that's okay in, in some cultures, obviously not across the board. There's still many mm -hmm. cultures where, you know, women cannot do what I do or right. can't post a photo that I post or whatever, but the fact that some people can, it's pretty epic. And it's interesting that you still are choosing these really kind of um, humble title of meditator and writer. Like that's, that's really a, it's a specific choice. Yeah. Yeah. I, it is. It's pretty intentional. I don't want to, um, I just feel like I'm exploring, like, yeah. you know, I'm an explorer yeah. and I'm trying to get to know myself and then it's amazing that through getting to know yourself, you also get to know the universe because there's so much in there to try to understand. Um, but I don't know, I don't claim to be a teacher or anything like that. I'm just, I like to share reflections, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I really enjoy writing, but, um, but I'm not guiding anyone in any particular direction. I'm just along the ride, just yeah. like everybody else. Yeah. Well, that is, you know, I think that's pretty cool. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. I know you did all the meditating to not get caught up in your ego. Good job. It works. It works. Tell us about your meditation practice before we go into your more mystical experience, which is a little bit more, I think of a, you know, feminine flowery kind of word mystical versus meditation in a way. So you can, you can allow me to bring you into that kind of more feminine, um, you know, shiny, flowery, juicy kind of candle lit road today. But before, tell us about your meditation practice, because I know you're devoted there. Sure. Yeah. So I meditate in the Esanguanka tradition, um, and it's a Vipassana tradition that comes out of uh, Myanmar, Burma, and it's been around for a very long time. It, it its origination is from the Buddhist teaching, so it's been you know around for like two thousand six hundred years, and um, it's a very old school, pretty like serious way of meditating where you were first introduced to the technique by doing these silent 10 day courses where you, you know, basically just like plug in and you're inside of this long 10 day guided meditation course. Um, and you're taught how to concentrate your mind. You take vows of morality, which help calm your mind. And you then start developing insight by observing your body. Um, so my you know, the practice that I've been taught um, 
the main key is the observation of impermanence mm. and impermanence itself, change, uh, things arising and passing away. I think that's been like my biggest teacher and the way that looks like in daily life is just, you know, I meditate an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening. And, um, and then occasionally throughout the year, I go to different meditation retreats. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I love hearing about your devotion to that practice and I've known you for years and you're still devoted. And I think, yeah, with full disclosure, we're actually friends in real life. So <laughs> yes, yes, I know. Even though we haven't seen each other in a little bit, but it's been a you while, know, yeah. we met at a, a, a retreat with some dear friends. And I think when you, when you meet people from depth mm -hmm. and you have actually the time to drop in and even if you don't talk to them for a while, there's still like a heart connect, um, which is really mm -hmm. nice. Yeah. I think anytime people go through a bonding experience, which could be a negative or a positive one, ours was positive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a really memorable weekend. <laughs> yeah, it was a really sweet. Um, but what I was going to say is that there's something, you know, in today's world, there's so much available as spiritual practice, healing practice. Mm -hmm. The fact that you've stayed really devoted to this one practice is mm -hmm. as opposed to kind of like trying different things or going, oh, I did that for a year, but now I'm going to do something else. That I think speaks volumes to the depth of the work that you bring into this world. And I'm curious, it's like, you know, was that an intentional choice? Did you ever feel like, oh, actually, I'm going to go try this other thing? And or was mm, it ever mm. was there ever a moment like that? Yeah, there um, in the beginning when I was like, you know, I think in the time when I was doing my like first four courses, I was just like testing it out and seeing, you know, are these results real? Like I wanted to really make sure that I wasn't suppressing anything because mm -hmm. I was done with suppressing. I realized that that wasn't going to lead me anywhere. Yeah. Um, but I was feeling better. Like I was reacting less. There was less tension in my mind and and I wanted to be sure that this technique met my conditioning where it was at. Um, and after a while, um, I realized like, yeah, this is really, it's giving me such big results. And there's so much more for me to learn in this particular path that I think I would be doing a disservice to myself by going somewhere else. Because I really believe that, um, I think it's fine. You know, people can go and try bunch of different things to be able to find um, one or a few things that really connect with their intuition and that, you know, are giving them results. But human life is, for me, it seems very short, you know, like it's even if you live for a hundred years, that's a very short amount of time. So to be able to really learn something deeply, like I got to put time into it, you know, I'm not even thinking about mastery, but just progress. Um, and I think that's what's kept me going back and kept me just like in this tradition because like I put in my time and it's like an investment to myself, but that investment, it has immense returns. Like the return that I get from my investment is so much higher than what I put in. So yeah, it just fits. But at the same, you know, same time, like I support people in finding whatever it is that can help you take your, you know, your steps forward. Mm, beautiful. All right. So what's the, what's the ROI? What, what are you getting back from this? Practice? I'm curious. I'm curious. It's here. probably crazy. It's probably like 75% if I were to give it some spiritual numbers. Yeah. <laughs> tell me, tell me, what, what does that look like? What does that mean when you're, okay, you're like going and meditating and then you're like, hmm, I'm receiving my 
investment <laughs> times three. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. It's a funny way of talking about it because like I, I majored in economics. So my mind has this like weird lingo in it, inside of it. But no, it's just, it's just um, you know, I put time in to like sit 10 day courses or 30 day courses and then I come out and I'm like, whoa, I am causing myself so much less stress, like dramatically less. And it hits me like, okay, I did put in a lot of work, but the result is so much bigger than what I get. And I'm just like, okay, well, I need to keep going. Okay. <laughs> keep doing more. Okay. So I yeah. feel like I'm going to, I want to pry even deeper, but like, give us like examples of results. Is it like, you know, less, less, um, I don't know, like sort of self doubt or like, is it like, where does mm. you, where does it show up for you that you're like, Oh shit, that thing is different. Yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely shows up in less anxiety. Okay. Um, anxiety used to be like pretty big deal in my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I still feel anxiety from time to time, but it doesn't like dominate me. It doesn't consume me how it used to, like, I'd be able, you know, I've learned, um, in my own mind to be able to just feel whatever tough thing is happening and then not throw fire on top of it. Um, and that can be with any emotion. If I feel down, if I feel sadness or whatnot, just feel the sadness, but I'm not allowing myself to become it. Um, and having that tiny bit of space, like extra spaciousness in my mind, it just shows up in a lot of ways. And I think it's, um, especially showed up like the pandemic was like a clear example. Like we, when it was happening, like I was in New York city and the pandemic hit hard in New York city and people were literally dying, like left and right, you know, and it got, were especially you hearing you, like sirens and stuff. Yeah. That's the only thing you would hear. There really? was no, there was nothing outside besides the occasional siren, which you knew, like you knew what was going on. Um, but it became weird when Oof. like, you know, we were all really taking care of ourselves and, you know, just covering up as best as we could. We didn't like, even like masks. We didn't even know what to do at that right, time. Right, right, right. Um, but it became to the point where like either, you know, we had a, had a few friends who got it and then, but all of my friends knew someone who either was in the hospital with it or passed away from it. And it became a type of situation where like everybody knew somebody who, and, and I, I, my family, we also lost my uncle um, to it in April. And, but yeah, but during that moment, that's when the practice showed up. Cause like all hell was breaking loose. Like the supermarkets were half empty and it was just wild. Um, but I felt that the practice got deeper and it felt like, um, like I was able to think and my wife and I, cause she also meditates too. We were able to not only take care of ourselves, but also to show up for our families. Cause our families were scared too. Cause like, you know, my family's in Boston and hers is in Jersey and, you know, they're going through it as well, but we're all, you know, really like collectivizing and making like family decisions together and just keeping that like calm, cool head. Like, yeah, I'm feeling afraid too, but I'm not freaking out. Right. Um, and that's all due to continuous practice. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. I can't imagine being in New York city at that time. And, and, you know, I'm sure it felt more condensed, um, kind of the, the, it's weird looking back on the numbers, but, Mm -hmm. um, between, I think like when it really broke out in March to like the end of April, I think it was like 23,000 people died in the city like really fast. Yeah. 
it's really insane. So it was one of those situations where like, it was very easy for you to know someone. What? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. I can't even go there right now. Yeah. Not because I'm avoiding it, just as a whole nother thing. (laughs) Intense, intense. But I love to hear that the practice showed up for you to keep you sane. It sounds like during that time. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, um, yeah, that makes sense. So I'd love to hear shifting gears a little bit here. I'd love to hear uh, a moment where it could be through meditation or through something else totally surprising, but where the mystical touched your heart or God, goddess divine. However, um, Mm -hmm. you characterize that kind of infinite essence could be just love. Um, but a moment where like kind of time stopped or you felt the veil lifted in a way where, um, something struck you on a deep level. I'm sure you've had many, but give us one. (laughs) Um, yeah, there are, and this might be me being selfish, but I have two. Okay. <laughs> but I'll well, try to be quick. We'll take it. <laughs> um, there there was like, I think the first um, 30-day course that I did, I think it was back in like 2017, 2018. Um, there were moments where it was just, so clear like in in you know i'm like deep in the meditation course like day 18 day 20 um haven't spoken in a long time really just meditating you know 10 hours a day over and over and over again um and the mind gets incredibly subtle like really subtle where like every breath is so crisp and clear every feeling that you have in your body is like in like 4k hd you can just feel it so clearly Um, and our practice is based in impermanence. Like we're trying to feel reality in the body and just literally feel what's happening because we're so good at intellectualizing, you know, we know how to think, we know how to read, we know how to write, but are you good at feeling? Like, do you, can you, have you ever tried to enhance the way you feel? Um, and in these moments, you know, you're, you really dig deep into the practice and you feel the clarity of impermanence and you can almost, you know, you can feel it to the point where you start touching ultimate truth where you start like touching the fact that, yeah, you are, you know, Diego's real, Alexandra's real. But then when you feel more deeply, it's like, no, but at the same time, we're also not real and feeling the clarity of, just like egolessness, you know, the fact that like, like this being this mind body phenomenon, this, like, it's moving so rapidly with such great speed that it seems like it's real, but to be able to feel the reality of that speed and all of that motion and feel that, no, it's also not real. And being able to like live the in between the conventional truth and the ultimate truth, the conventional truth being like, yeah, Diego's here and he's talking to Alexander right now. But then what's the ultimate truth? Like, no, that's actually just, you know, the two of us, we're just like these masses of subatomic particles that are changing trillions of times a second. And there was, it's pretty like. Far out. You know, it, yeah, it's it's a little far out, but um, it's also just like, it helps support your freedom so much because it allows your identity to have a greater sense of fluidity. 
you know, to be able to be a river, like let yourself move, let yourself change. Like don't have such a strict sense of who I am more so like I am being, you know, let me just like continue flowing. Um, but that was pretty, yeah. And it wasn't like an, an enlightenment thing or anything like that. It was just, you know, you're just deepening the practice and feeling more and yeah. that's what's there. <laughs> change. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, and when you had that kind of, you know, realizing moment, was there an emotional response to that? Was there like a bliss or a laughter or a, just mm. a stillness or was there anything? Yeah. A lot of stillness mm -hmm. and a lot of lightness. Mm -hmm. um, I think in those moments, like your, your being, your mind just becomes incredibly light and mm. open. And, mm. um, and that like, you know, there's a lot of little sharp bits of clear insight come forward and you're like, Oh, right. Like a lot of times, like my suffering comes from thinking that, that I'm real. And mm. then just like reinforcing the ego so intensely and not allowing myself to just have more spaciousness, Yeah, you know, to be, cause like, if you're like, what is attachment? It's like a tightness, it's a clinging. It's this like grabbing yeah. onto, um, but then what's freedom? Freedom is flowing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. This is such a, an important message. It feels like for today's time. And obviously that's just in my humble opinion. Um, but in my humble opinion, it's an important message for today's time because, um, especially as Westerners, right. And living mm -hmm. in America, our identities are so, uh, interlinked with our self-worth, with our self image, with the way we relate to others, the way we love, the way we show up, the way we talk. And it's like, how, how can we, or what advice would you give to someone who you feel like, Hey, your identity, like, maybe limiting you and, and like, what's the advice you would give to someone on how to approach that or how to, to see from your, your vantage point? Yeah. There's, um, this like rigidity to identity is, can cause a lot of trouble for ourselves. And, you know, I always think back to, there's like this little line, uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, and I need to look back to like find out where exactly it is, but there's this line that made it pretty clear about how we should approach work because that's something like, you know, living in this capitalist framework, like so much of our identity is based in productivity and like, how much can I get done? How much, how, you know, if I am successful, then I can be happy. And that is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. being able to see that in my own life, the fact that like, if I do a good job, I feel so happy and it's, but it's not like a real happiness. It's this like, like a form of, um, attachment to pleasure. Like I'm, I am doing a good job and it's fine for you to recognize when you're doing a good job, but to be like swung up and down and then you do a, a you know, not so good job and then your whole mood tanks. Mm -hmm. So having a bit of detachment from work mm -hmm. actually helps you work better and it helps you live without waiting for this future moment for you to feel joy or glee or, you know, compassion towards yourself. But, um, I think it's just, you know, it's something to understand at the intellectual level. Like, yeah, you are changing all the time. You are literally just like mental and physical phenomena moving at incredibly rapid speeds. that are just interlocking, combining in different ways. And it all is changing constantly with every blink of your eye. 
Um, so, you know, how can you be so attached to this moment when this moment, the moment you're already thinking about it, that previous moment's already gone? Yeah. 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 So true. And I'm curious, how, what, what would you say about um, how to approach that during these times of social media and where that kind of identity and permanence and like fixed identity, fixed persona, like um, meets this, oh, wait, I'm also a river of, of, you know, these subatomic particles shifting every moment, but wait, no, I'm this because that's who I am. And, you know, I know that's something that I'm trying to put more of into my writing and just trying to like make it clear that authenticity is transformation, you know, because who like you are not who you were 10 years ago. Like that person is literally long gone. If anything, it's just a memory. And this is something that comes up a lot with healing. Like there's this like idea in healing where a lot of people want to go back to the period before the trauma, you know, as if there was some type of original state. But when you think about it critically, when you think about it objectively with a clear lens, there is no going back. Time flows forward. And yes, there was a period that, you know, before the trauma happened, but you're better off putting your effort into unbinding the patterns that are left as remnants from that trauma and then living your new life, you know, allow yourself to transform because every time you're unbinding those layers, what's happening? Like you, you must experience this for yourself. Like when you do your own inner work, you let go of layers and then there are subtle changes in your likes, in your dislikes, what you're interested in. There are these shifts that happen. So when you get deep into your healing, like get ready to transform. That's just yeah. part of life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for people that do that publicly, because there's some social mm. media component, it can be really confronting, right? It's like, oh, you're changing. Um, and wait, now you've built something around who this person who you used to be. And I think that's cool. Yeah. You haven't done that. And you're a person that your work is actually able to flow with you, which is so just amazing and beautiful. And I aspire in that direction as well, because we, it can be so limiting, you know, to, to build a brand or a persona or even a style around something that then you, you outgrow. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's like, uh, it's shifting slowly with like brave people, like our buddy Saadi Simone, I've seen him shift his social media presence in pretty big ways. Yeah. And I think his like raw authenticity is so incredibly inspiring because he just is who he is. And it, I think it, the people are finding much more inspiration nowadays and like someone just being raw, like, exactly. you know, this is who I am. Like I did believe this before, but I've learned because that's what happens. You're a human being. You, all of us carry ignorance and then hopefully we can undo yeah. it and expand. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I had that in the last year, big reckonings around that. Just like, oh, wait, I was talking about all this kind of empowered feminine stuff. And now I just kind of like want to write poetry about God and nature. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> do you oh, yeah. oh, no, what are people going to think? <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's definitely less in style. But, you know, it's also that, like that. You just like if you're really listening to what's happening in this kind of permeable, impermanent, like mushy being mm -hmm. that you are, 
Um, and listening to that versus listening to what the outside is kind of asking of you, then you also may come up against like, oh, some of this may be less likable. It may be less pretty. It may be less, um, you know, um, brandable and that's okay. You know, it's true. But I think even with, even like, like the way you do things, it's, you know, you inspires me so much because there is no, you can't, I can't put Alexandra in a box. Like you do so many things, you know, you're like, you have this whole career in film that is totally separate from like all the inner work and you yeah. know, all the teachings that you give out. Thank but I you. think, you know, even when I think of myself personally too, like I'm a writer right now, but I don't know what I'm going to do in like 10, 15 years. I have no idea. Like I might go back to organizing or activism in a serious way. I have no idea. Is that what you were doing before you started writing? Yeah. Yeah. From when I was from like 15 to like 26, I was deep in the world of organizing just, you know, parts of different nonprofits that would just like help make like serious material change. Um, and also groups outside of nonprofits that were like a little more radical. Um, but that world of like, you know, basically galvanizing people around a common cause and then like making change happen. It's so powerful. And I think it's profoundly inspired my work, but I, you know, switched gears pretty seriously because I realized I had to do a bunch of like, I had to deal with my anxiety and sadness for the sake of my well-being. So that's why I started, you know, getting more serious about meditation. I took a, a long period of solitude because I just needed to be alone. Um, and then I found out that I had this like other side of myself that was creative because I had never planned to be a writer. And then I was like, oh shoot, and I guess now I'm a writer. <laughs> Hello, quick interlude here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, I'd love for you to check out my book, Fuck Like a Goddess, my guide to healing yourself, reclaiming your voice, and standing in your power. Publishers Weekly called it a sharp, forceful debut. It was one of Bustle's best summer reads and a bestseller in three categories on Amazon. These are my methods that I'm teaching to inspire you, challenge you, bring up your resistance so you can face it and get free and unleash your gifts. How to let life make love to you, enjoy every bit, and find the magic in all of it guide. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, and Sounds True, or by visiting alexandraroxo.com book. Thank you so much. It means the world to me to have your support for my work. Back to the podcast. Wow, that's amazing. And I think what you just said, like a lot of people can work a career or do something really wonderful like like be an organizer but not have given or taken the space to do some of that internal healing work because it feels like a luxury in a way at times mm -hmm. but it's also a necessity in a sense otherwise sometimes it's like kind of we're like walking with a limp right we never actually stop and yeah. go wait what's hurting Oof. here you know um and it keeps getting worse essentially i think as people oh, get totally. older and i think a lot of us are our parents do that right it's like you know that 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 um unresolved trauma may have like been okay to kind of like s you know skim over for when they were younger and they're busy and like sexy yeah. or whatever but as they get older like it's like oh shit like that thing is getting to be a bit more burdensome mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so I, I admire that notion of like stopping doing what you were doing to do your healing work and i'm so curious if you're open to sharing what were some of the i know you mentioned anxiety and sadness but what were some of the the either if you use the language of like shadow or 
past trauma or experiences or like what were some of those obstacles like that you mm. went through that you had to kind of um you know work through or unbind which i love that word you used yeah the the biggest obstacle you know when i had my like rock bottom and totally just like came to a crashing halt because i had built up so many bad habits in this like constant pursuit of trying to run away from myself you know whenever i would feel like anything too heavy in my mind or body i would just run and i would run into the arms of pleasure you know like and it was it became incredibly toxic where i was like always smoking always drinking always like surrounding myself with people and always partying and going out um just to get away from myself and so it made a situation where my relationships were incredibly shallow and i was just like a ticking time bomb um and not like lashing out towards others but like a ticking time bomb that was ready to implode um and i yeah it it happened and i like you know one night i used too many drugs and was just horribly um i felt so terrible my heart was like beating out of my chest i felt like i was going to die um and like literally felt like i was having a heart attack um but i was you know i luckily didn't die um and i when i came out of that and i asked myself how did i get here i got there by lying to myself like that was the big problem so when i think of you know like i think of you know i don't i don't use too much like like shadow work or that type of terminology but i just think about it as introspection like i'm just turning my awareness inward and i want to see what is there and not run away from anything that arises um what i found was just like this like habit of lying was just creating all this all these blocks in my being all these blocks in my behavior and just like keeping me totally plateaued um when i started peeling back those layers i'd ask myself okay like if i what if lying got me here how can i get out of this and it's just radical honesty and i spent like you know that whole year before i started meditating vipassana um i just spent it building a habit of radical honesty and when i was being radically honest with myself what did i find i found tons of fear tons of sadness like tons of anxiety and i just helped myself sit with it oh, wow was was it you think compounded from anything specific in life like childhood just growing up on the planet was there anything that you when you <laughs> when you turned inward that you were like fuck i didn't look at this or i've been afraid of this yeah there's um i think there's two things one is that i think a lot of people um are born with inclinations towards sadness and anxiety you know where they're just like like chemically the way they're set up they're just not the happiest people um so i think i was like born like that because even as a tiny child i was just like i was always pretty extroverted but in my own mind like everything felt pretty low um so i had that going on for sure and then through examining my childhood now as an adult i think the biggest pressure that really made my anxiety go out of control was just like poverty like when we moved to the united states and we um you know i was born in ecuador we came here when i was about 4 years old um it was just my mom my dad and my brother and i but we were like incredibly 
core. We were struggling for years, just like my parents trying to figure out how they're going to feed us, how they're going to pay rent, how they were going to like, just every next step, there was never like a long-term plan because there was no space for that because the immediate had to be taken care of. And, you know, my dad worked as a, he worked in a grocery store. My mom worked cleaning houses and we just like struggled basically until my brother and I were in our late teens um, because there was a, we were still very poor, but there was a pretty big shift when like pretty immediately my brother and I, when we were both 13, we both got jobs and that took a lot of pressure off of my parents because we were able to buy our own clothes and we were able to like help around the house a lot. But the, the people don't, I mean, some people do, but I think they're, is more coming to terms with the fact that like being poor is incredibly traumatizing because it just puts an immense amount of pressure on the family. And um, I think that really affected my like fear response and my sort of um, like undue self-centeredness because it was like, am I gonna eat? Like, am I gonna, you know, what am I gonna do? Like, and um, that really kind of just tightened me up. But all of that combined with this natural inclination, inclination of sadness that I had as a child it just like snowballed and was never dealt with. And then when I, by the time I got to college, um, because I had no like language for how to properly deal with my emotions, it just like exploded. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thanks for sharing all that. And it's true that you don't, it's not something that I hear talked about a ton in the sort of more self-help or, you know, transformational space, but yeah, growing up in poverty, the constant anxiety and fear constant. thoughts running through a child's head. And like, I didn't grow up in poverty, but, you know, I grew up um, on the, you know, lower kind of middle class. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I remember the, the fear and the anxiety and the shame, a lot of shame um, on like the day that they announced like the school field trip and people had to bring their deposits in and like, yeah. I didn't have them. <laughs> you know, or, yeah. <laughs> and the shame and the shame of like having Walmart shoes and other people, you know, I was in like a, a kind of more middle-class kind of white suburban thing. And so it was just like, people would point it out. They'd be like, why are you wearing those? Yeah. You know, yeah. No name. And kids are, crazy intense like that. <laughs> they're like what are you eating that's disgusting mm -hmm. or whatever you know so it's 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 wild to think about and i'm sure yeah, everybody has when you're that small those experiences resonate um deeply though they could be more extreme in someone's case than another it still feels like the whole world is crashing in on you um yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, it feels like a, like, I just remember that like constant state of stress, you know, cause stress. You, I was just observing my parents trying to figure it out. And it's funny because now I'm like nearing the age of my, like of what my parents were back then. And it's like, whoa, that is intense that they had to figure all this out in their early thirties. And just the two of them in this, you know, strange land, strange world, like all their family still back in Ecuador. They have very little support. And luckily we made it through, but it, it, you know, and it was funny because also seeing their relationship, like my parents, they loved each other so much, but then growing up, I thought 
in some ways, I'm like, are they like mismatched? Like they're always fighting, but it wasn't their lack of love for each other. It was because there was so much external stress, stress on the two of them that they had nowhere else to like project their tension. And it would just kind of fell onto each other. And it's funny because now I see them now because, you know, I'm an adult, my brother's an adult, my sister who also came later, she's an adult and we're all, you know, my parents are still working, but we're supporting them as well. Like they love each other so much. They're chilling, you know, like they're just like so much less, like they don't have that tension anymore. And it's so beautiful to see like, oh no, their love for each other was real. The problems were actually just structural. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. And I mean, sometimes like the love during those times doesn't matter when you're like the, the survival needs sometimes trump the the love. And there are also cultures and places and families where they can find celebration, togetherness, laughter, dancing, despite poverty. And it is, you know, I grew up between Brazil and the U.S. and um, seeing different socioeconomic classes in Brazil that were like considered super poor, but still like dancing and playing and you know, um, playing soccer and the streets and laughing and all of this stuff. It's not, not to be glorified, but it really showed a stark contrast for me when I would return to the white Christian suburban wow. zones where people seem like pretty bomb. Most you go to like a party in Marietta, Georgia, <laughs> and like the moms sitting around the pool are just kind of like, Hi, honey. How are you? You know, and like, no offense to anyone else who's from Marietta, Georgia. Like, I haven't been back there <laughs> in a while. I'm sure there, you know, things are shifted or something. But, but like the amount of um, of joy, you know, or play or um, dancing or music at like the parties that I would go to in my little white, you know, middle class suburban Christian zones were so so different than what I would experience in Brazil when I would go there. Or even Miami, because my I was born in Miami, mm-hmm. and there the Latin cultures were just like still partying, even if they're yeah. broke. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> you can still dance. Yeah, it's really true. I think, um, like unless it's like a scenario of like war or something, like you're still yeah. going to be able to find joy. Yeah. Um, and I've witnessed the same thing. You know, there are still many beautiful moments that we shared, and we did find a community of fellow Ecuadorians and you know, we'd hang out during the weekend because like they were struggling too, but we would like, I don't know, just like have fun. And, and, and it was, it was beautiful. And it's funny because seeing that the origins of that in Ecuador, when I would go visit family, um, like the parties there are live. Like it's so, I don't know if it's like a South American thing or something, but like, you know, it's amazing how like, we're like a really, like Ecuador is like a really poor country, yeah. but, um, but people still find ways and reasons to celebrate each other so that the whole community can enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And come together and like Mm -hmm. also move outside of that sort of, I think very American notion of like, this is mine. And like, this is my house, my family, like there's Mm -hmm. a, you know, um, but the parties in Brazil also like half inside, half outside. Yes. Yeah. So the same thing in South America and then like the the whole block would come. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And there's like barbecues and like, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that there's also there pri- the priorities of different cultures are just different. The values, I guess, are the right word, mm-hmm. and um, and some of that is based on climate, based on 
money, based on location, based on politics, right? Like, and all of that mm -hmm. kind of factors into how people just be in different yeah. places. Um, thank you for sharing about that. Like, I could just keep asking you all of those questions um, all day, but that's such a beautiful, rich reason and kind of unpacking for some of this deeper work you're doing. And I'm so curious, like, what do your parents think that like my son is like on Instagram has a million followers, best-selling authors speaking at these things. He's on TV. Like, what are they, what are they saying now? Um, they are very happy for me. Um, but they like, they live in a very different world. So there are a lot, you know, parents are getting old and, um, and they're, I love like they're aging very gracefully, but they, um, you know, they really know that something big is happening, but it's funny explaining to them, like my mom the other day, like we were talking, because like I have, you know, my new book's coming out. And I was telling my parents, like, I can't even believe how, you know, we were like number 13 on Amazon or something, like something crazy like that. And my dad was like, what does that mean? You know, what is that? And my mom is like trying to explain it to him. And she's just like, you know, it just means he sold a lot of books. And you're and, like, there, and, there are probably what billions of books on Amazon, honey. Yeah. A friend I'm, told like, me that there's like 8 million books on Amazon, which is ridiculous. Um, so my wife and I, you know, we understand and we were like, whoa, this was like really unexpected. We weren't planning, you know, we had no idea how it was going to do but we weren't thinking 13, you know? So, um, but when we told our families, like, it was just so cute, like, cause they, and they are happy for me, but it's also a learning, you know, a learning moment where it's like, I need to be able to, you know, not expect them to respond exactly how I would respond to something because exactly. there's like generational differences. There's also just like, you know, they have a lot of things going on in their lives as well. But yeah, they're very, very happy. But it's um, it's funny, like explaining these things that we, you know, you and I understand that feel important to us. But to them, it's like it's brand new. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I think it's kind of humbling in this way, like that to have that reminder, even though like I've always got my feelings hurt when I'm like, guess what, dad? My dad's yeah, like, yeah. Brazilian man born in 1941. I'm like, oh, guess wow. what? Like my movie's premiering at the Tribeca Film Festival. And he's kind of like, what does that mean? Why do I care? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and in, in his mind, it's still like, unless you're a doctor or a lawyer, like, you yeah, know, it's just yeah. like, I don't get it. Um, so there's something humbling also about like the fact that, oh yeah, different values, different time periods um and obviously being praised because that's fucking epic that your book is 13 in the millions so of books much. there but Thank i'm you. sure you have a lot of other people um praising you too it's funny though you know you're making me think too like there's a really awesome value though in that lesson too that we're getting from our parents because they're always bringing it back to what's important like my mom and dad i think what they're most happy with is the fact that like, you know, I have a home and I have a wife and there's also like, they see not just with these different things, you know, different material things, but they see stability in my life and safety in my life. And I think to them that just like, they're, they're gushing over that. Like that to them is like, especially cause we like, you know, where they were at my age was totally different from where I am now. And they see that. And the fact that I'm even, you know, able to help them financially they're just like, this is crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I was talking to my partner about that the other day. I'm like, 
you know, are you the first person in your family you think to make this much income or to travel internationally for your work or, you know, these things? And I, and we're like, yeah, I think most of the friends that I know and like, you know, it doesn't have to be as extreme in terms of like what you're making or your levels Mm -hmm. of success. But I think for a lot of people nowadays, there is there there can be an opportunity to um, either if it's like breaking the the line of poverty or mm-hmm. actually using one's voice to speak in a certain way or write in a certain way. It doesn't have to be money centric at all. For it sounds like for both of us that has a big part of the healing. I mean, I know it is in my family too. Like there's a healing for both of my parents to go. You're not broke. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you paid off your student loans? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it only took me 15 years, but I did. Um, but for other people, it could be, yeah, it could be around just like having the courage to make an art project or to do, a, you know, create a community organization or whatever and being very aware that you're probably the first person in your family, could be the first woman, could be the first person of color who's done something like that, you know? And um, that's really, it's really epic. What is the name of your uh, upcoming book? And can we buy it? Tell us about it, please. Oh, for sure. So um, the name is Clarity and Connection. And it's funny because I like it took a long time to name the first one. The first one was called Inward. And my wife actually came up with the name. We were like meditating and we like finished, we finished sitting and she like turns around and looks at me with these like really calm eyes. And she's like, you should call your book inward. And I was like, yep. Like, you know, immediately the intuition was like, correct. Like that is, that is right. Um, And what felt really special was like, what happens when you go inward? You know, you get to know yourself, you build your self-love, you start unbinding the layers and then you come out with like a new sense of clarity. Like you can see a little better. Your perspective is a little wider And that automatically and very naturally helps you build deeper connections. So it felt like a very natural next step to to just like talk about, you know, continue the personal transformation, self-awareness, like reflective material that I'm usually that I'm usually making. But at the same time, like, let's talk about relationships. Let's talk Mm. about friendships. Let's talk about like, you know, how to actually have a harmonious, like intimate relationship with someone. Um, Yeah. Oh. but it's it's all yeah it's all you can find it wherever in all bookstores and online and whatnot beautiful did you self-publish it no um the only thing i self-published was the first book inward um but then it was only self-published for like a few months and then it got picked up by a publisher then and it was then reissued and released into bookstores and um clarity and connections like in bookstores everywhere and published by this really nice little company called Andrews McMill. Nice. Well, I'm really excited. I've, I've definitely had inward close to me in my home and like pulled it out um, during some writers groups. I do writers groups sometimes and we like flip open to a certain poem and your book uh-huh. has definitely been one that we've used and some of the other women in my group have pulled it out too. And they're like, do you oh, know this so one? Sweet. I'm like, yes, I know that one. <laughs> so um, I'm excited for clarity and connection. And so, That's so cool. Yeah. You're like, I know that guy. Like I know him. I know him. He's, <laughs> yeah. cool. He's my friend. Um, but everyone listening, please go out and buy 
play Diego's book and maybe you'll move him from number 13 to number five or six <laughs> on those Amazon charts. And it's just such an, you know, I hope you are also inspiring all kinds of people around the world to maybe have a similar story to you that came from similar background that weren't sure, or aren't sure if they could, you know, do something creative and, mm -hmm. um, it's pretty, it's a pretty special, uh, Dharma life, karma path road you're on right now. And I'm, I'm Thanks happy so to much. witness it and to support it too. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Mm. I hope that, I hope it's inspiring people to do their own thing. Cause that's why, you know, when I started writing, I was just like, okay, like, I don't know anything. Like, I'm just, I know that healing is happening. This is all I know, mm -hmm. but let me share, you know, and you don't need to be a master. You don't need to be a teacher. You can, you know, your journey is just as valuable as anybody else's. So yeah. share, you don't know who you're going to inspire. Yes. And that's so beautiful. And I think healing sometimes has like, you know, all kinds of stigma or just like, oh, I don't want to heal. But I love that you've kept using the word healing in your work because look mm. at the world around us. There is healing to be done. So, you know, everybody get off your high horse and just let's get down to business. <laughs> oh, that's I love that you're bringing that up because I, I, I put a little piece in the in the book about how like you don't need to have had experience serious trauma to like get yourself into, you know, into healing work, because some people have experienced like immensely traumatic things, others, not so much, you yeah. know, but what we can all genuinely, if we're being truly honest with ourselves, like, yeah, I can be a little less tense, right? I can have a little more love for myself and for others, or I can, um, you know, just like have a little more clarity and expand my perspective. So there are ways that we can cultivate ourselves and I think a lot of that falls into this idea of healing. Like we've all felt very strong emotions at one time or another. And those emotions, they leave an imprint on the subconscious of your mind. Mm -hmm. So there, if you look deep enough, there will be something that you can let go of. Yeah. And something you yeah. can heal. And I love, I love healing as kind of like this kind of mending this rupture between us and something, whether it's unconditional love or generosity or compassion, but like we can either kind of, yeah, we can bridge that gap, you know, or we don't. And I feel like healing is the bridge into that new space. So thank you for making healing cool. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Diego, for being with us today and for writing so many inspiring pieces that we all share. Everybody go buy Diego's new book and we will see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo. And you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review. Give us a five-star rating. All of that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.